0: Going to finish up a little tiny message on worship as we started last Sunday. And I hope that it will inform us too as we prepare this week uh, to observe Easter Sunday. In which case, I got to tell you, just being able to be here today is all because of Easter Sunday, right? Every time we pray, every time we read the word, every time we can sing to God. We are celebrating that middle wall of separation being torn down. We're celebrating that veil being torn. We're we're talking about an empty tomb. And we're talking about the risen Savior who wasn't a was but an is and is here now. Because He dwells in the midst of His people. And God does inhabit the praises of His people. And because of that it's important that we understand exactly what the Bible means when it's talking about worship. Whether we are praying or praising or fellowshipping or under the, the preaching of the Scripture or whether we're in a Sunday school class, when we do anything in His name, it should be an act of worship. When we stop and look at the new flowers that are springing forth from the earth and we're taking a look at the green that's coming through in the fields and we look at all that stuff, it should cause us to, to worship. And, uh, and just like in many things in our day, uh, a, there is a counterfeit and then there is what is biblical. There's what the scripture says. And let us not forget that one of the reasons why the world hates uh, biblical Christianity so bad is because we're a people of the book and they hate the truth in the book and they hate the authority that's in the book. And, and we have to make sure that we're willing to die for that message of that Christ who gave that word because he is the living word incarnate. And that's why we worship Jesus as the very God with us, the Emmanuel. So I want to just remind us that as we go through this today, I've got a mountain of material to move through. But largely, one of the best works that I've ever read outside of Scripture on what biblical worship is, is from Daniel Block. Uh, as I mentioned last Sunday, this is from Recovering a Biblical Theology of Worship for the Glory of God. This is Daniel Block. If, if you're interested in how this works, you should get this book. It is so good. And, and he does so well in writing about things. Um, he's retired now, but was a professor of Old Testament at Wheaton. And before that, had taught at Southern uh, Seminary there in uh, Kentucky. So, ask for the old paths in worship. We're going to be reading out of Jeremiah 6, 16 and 18, 15 today. In honor of God and His Word, let's stand as we read these passages. And for those of you who are looking in your Bibles, that's good to hear. The page is turning. But for those of you who don't have it, I'll put the, the words up here. Okay. So in honor of God and His Word, let's stand as we read the Scripture. We have to, we have to understand that when we read the words of God, we're reading what He's breathed out and so we will stand in honor of his name on it. Jeremiah 6:16 6, again. Thus says the Lord, "Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls." But his nation, his people said, "We will not walk in it." And then later in verse 18 and 15, "Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols." And they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in pathways and not on a highway. So whether we are talking about worship, whether we're talking about prayer or study of the Bible, whatever we're talking about, we have to make sure we are informed by the old paths that God has revealed, that God has, has ratified and confirmed, and not be drawn into what would be obviously new paths, and we're going to be taking a look at worship specifically today in that area. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the reading of your word. We know there's more to come, and God, we ask you'd give us hearts to understand what the Spirit is saying as you're speaking directly to us today through the word by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to make much of Jesus and to glorify you, Father, in heaven. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just by way of uh, review, the biblical understanding of worship is always characterized by, by the words we used. And I'm not going to go through all of this entirely. But when we talk about worshiping God and we approach God, we tend to think of the word in English with his worship and and that's an old english word it's two words combining into one worth hyphen ship okay and we've combined them to create the word worship but it's actually giving praise to someone for their value and their worth but that's kind of hard because in the in the hebrew in the old testament which displays as God is dealing with His covenant people, of which part we are grafted in by the, by the Abrahamic covenant of faith and ratified by the new covenant of, of grace in Jesus Christ. Uh, we have to understand and go back and understand when the Bible talks about worship, we're talking about primarily an attitude first as we come in our disposition. How we come before God matters. Okay, if you're here right now and you're struggling with, with uh, erroneous thoughts, lustful thoughts, angry thoughts, unforgiveness, it's spurring through your mind, I would just stop where you are and ask God to quiet your soul and repent of your sin so that you can turn and offer worship as we look at the scriptures together. He will not receive dirty worship. Okay, And number two, we, we talked about gesture as a matter of worship. Sometimes we kneel when we pray. I make a habit of doing that. Sometimes we lay flat down on the ground and there should be more of that. We're, we're saying to God that you are everything. You are the most high king. You could take my life in an instant. You bless me with life. You are the the reason I live and I am before you. I'm laid out in complete and total uh, dependence upon you to live. So we have this issue of gesture. And then obviously how we worship. How we come before God as we order a service, if you will. That's where we get our word liturgy. liturgeo in the Greek. And we understand that how we come together. And JT... uh, has done so well in, in, in demonstrating, and I thought I had a paper, a cheat sheet, but we talk about there's a certain rhyme to how we, a reason for how we come in to, to the Lord's house, and how we approach the throne of grace, and how we sing, and all the songs are God-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, okay? We don't need to sing about ourselves, all right? This is about making much of Him. This is His day. This is, is this not the Lord's day? This is not our day, this is the Lord's day with which we come and we venerate who He is and make much of who He is and and we don't want to hear from us, we want to hear from Him and we want Him to hear our voices telling Him how great He is. Uh, So who may stand then and worship the Lord? Who may enter into the courts... Of praise to God. In Psalm 24 verse 3 through 5. It asks this question. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? Now get the picture in your mind. Who may go up there. Where He is? Who may stand then in this holy place? In Christ Jesus, That the book of Hebrews is so rich because it tells us about the sufficiency of Christ as our prophet and our priest and our king. And it's talking about how he has an unchangeable priesthood because he never dies, which blows my mind that anybody would dare say today that we need to keep on having this priesthood. Are you kidding me? How can you improve on the living Christ of what he's, he is doing right now? He has, an unchangeable priesthood but he gives us as his people those of us who have been saved by grace we've come in repentance saying God here is my muck and my yuck take my dirty life And give me your life. It's an exchanged life. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. But not only that, you are God the Son. You you manifested yourself among us, and we beheld your glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I yield. I come. I kneel. I I I histaawa, as it says in Hebrew, and I get low before you because you you you. I owe that to you. You are my Maker. So who may stand then is a new thing, because when we read in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews tells we may come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. In Christ, He's my covering. I don't need clothes or robes, okay? I, I need clothes to walk around in, but... Before God Almighty, I am clothed with the righteousness of Christ. How dare I think I could improve upon what Jesus perfectly covers in my life. He, His blood is shed upon me. And those of us who know Christ, His blood is shed upon us. And so, who may stand in His holy place? The one who knows Christ. That's who. Who can worship? First and foremost, the person who knows Christ. That's who may come and God will receive the worship because you are not coming around Him. You're coming through Christ to Him. Because if you try to go out another way, you're a thief and a robber. So who may come? Those of us who know Christ. And how do we come to know Christ? We just talked about repentance. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. How do we get that? Can I? Can I? Can I keep the Ten Commandments every second of the day? No, I cannot. Christ did though for me. Now I make it my aim to be well pleasing to Him. I do my level best. I'm not saved uh, by works, but I'm saved to it. I, I try. I try hard. But I think God in Christ Jesus that he's delivered me from that bondage of my own sin nature. Whereby I made accepted in the beloved because of who he is in Christ. And so I may have blown it, but I can still come boldly before the throne of grace. Not in shaloning my sin, but as in saying, Christ, I come by your mercy. And you know, when you're, when you're a child of God, you when, you, when you fail and you sin, you hate it, don't you? You just, you just hate it. And, and even sometimes the devil can get on you like that in a wrong way because you won't even hardly lift up your head sometimes to worship or even pray because you, don't, you feel too, too rotten. You don't feel worthy. And the point it is, is Christ made you worthy, so now you've got a problem. Are you going to try to be justified by your works now after you've been justified by grace? Are you going to revert? No, you just say, Lord, I know. Thank you for saving me. And God, I am ashamed of what I did. And God, I know I don't have to be saved again, but just cleanse me. Clean my hands and clean my heart. Lord, I I lifted up my soul to an idol, Lord. I I swore deceitfully, but please take me out of it. Forgive me. Thank you for nailing it to the cross since past, present, and future that I am solely forgiven. I I don't dare look up to you, God, saying that I'm good enough, but you are for me. This is the one that the Bible says shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. God saves us from our sin, and we need it twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. Do we not? Uh, turn, if you will, to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses thir- uh, ver- and starting in verse 13, and we'll read through chapter 2. Now, we talked about the kind of attitude and the kind of heart that God wants to see in us and that God is making in us because we're being conformed to the image of Christ, are we not? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Is it not to conform us to the image of Jesus He says this in verse 13 then. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your hope is in Christ alone. All glory be to Christ alone. That's why we sing those kind of songs. And it says here in verse 14. We're supposed to live as obedient children, not conforming ourselves to the former lust as in our ignorance. So we don't live like we used to. And, you know, it's like like I keep saying that whoever that old country preacher was, it said if if you claim to be a Christian, and you live like the devil. If you are what you were, you ain't. Okay. if if you don't try if you're trying to convince everybody you're you're a you're a born again, saved child of God and you live like hell all the time without a problem, you're a liar. Okay, so as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts is in your ignorance. But now verse 15 is important. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written. And we always know that the New Testament is the chief interpreter of the Old Testament. Be holy for I am holy, as it says back there in the Old Testament in Leviticus. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So if we take this pericope 13 through 17 right there, knowing, as it says in verse 18, how we were redeemed. If we approach worship, coming to church, preparing to come to the house of God, that this building that we've made here out of two by fours and Material that has been sanctified and set apart. This is the space we've dedicated. And we come preparing to be before God. We have to prepare before we even show up. Now how many of you prepared for this moment? Now they used to. Thanks brother. I'm glad you're Because now they used to. They used to do that. They used to prepare before they went up. Verse 18 tells us why we should prepare. Because we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And that's why we prepare because we are that precious in His sight because of what He did in His beauty and His glory and His grace. The only way we can stand. So how can we not prepare to give Him our best? Right? I tell you what, you keep your suits. Give me a heart. Okay? It's just a A frivolous analogy to say God is not concerned with the externals here. It's the internals that He wants to see. The traditions of the fathers were all about externals. Getting the day right. Getting the sacrifice right. Getting all those things right. And He wanted to see their heart informed by humility, by gratitude, by thankfulness. By dependence, by repentance. when we sing, "We love you, Lord, we mean it. Peter isn't done. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. In sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Can you worship? If you regard iniquity in your heart, will God hear your prayers? He won't. And so if you regard iniquity in your heart, what do you think it's going to do to your worship? It's going to wreck it. Right? If you hate your brother and you don't want to try to come to church and worship, you better come to the altar and spend time there. Having been born again, that's where we get that. Not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, and we know why we have a therefore, because it's therefore what was written before. Therefore, in all that's being said, Lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious because you must be saved to know the difference. Okay? Coming to Him. Who's the emphasis on? Christ Jesus alone. Coming to Him as a living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious. You also... Now, don't don't miss that. As living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, here's another therefore. Therefore, To you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, notice this the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. They reject the message the gospel and the simplicity of Christ but notice this but you are a chosen generation and hearkening back to that to that old testament imagery that idea of the priesthood but you are a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that's why he says in verse 11 and 12, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe... Glorify God in the day of visitation. Now you think, Mickey, why in the world you read all that? Because it tells us what God expects of us. And it also informs us on how we're supposed to come to the house of God. Don't be mistaken. This is a building. It's not even a fancy building. And it's not really supposed to be a fancy building. You can always tell the devil's fingerprints on something. Whenever its first uh, its its first images and its presence demonstrates the beauty of the externals, can't you? But we worship God in the Spirit. We are of the circumcision of the heart. We have been cut off from the world and separated to Christ. So when you come to worship, do you prepare as an heir of Christ to bring the praises that He deserves? True worship, writes Dr. Block, true worship demonstrated by holy living arises out of a profound sense of gratitude for divine grace. The relationship between Israel's redemption and their ethical response is a paradigmatic for our own approach to life as worship. Far from being a burdensome, divinely imposed duty, the memory of our own salvation should inspire gratitude and yield odd trust before God Personal purity and commitment to others' well being, especially to those who are marginalized, it should not be difficult for us to come before the the courts of God in praise and bring with us those who are low, those who are down, and those who are out, those who have failed. We are all sinners. And as they say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's what's so bad sometimes, man. And some preachers start to believe the hype, but I don't. They seem to. Oh, you know, you're a preacher. You, if I don't, if I talk bad around you, you're going to like you and God will strike me dead. Well, God might, I won't. That'd be a neat trick. Okay, I'd misuse that power. Okay. But but see, thing is, I'm just like you. I am no different. I struggle with my own sin. And then you try to load on top of the fact the responsibility of preaching a service every Sunday being true to God. You don't think that there isn't a sense of trembling that happens? It doesn't stop. Because we're coming before Him who lives. Worship must be Acceptable to God. Isaiah one thirteen says, and, th- and this is, these are verses to typify why worship must be acceptable to God and how it's not acceptable, if you will. What God says about unacceptable worship. He says, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moon, the Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and sacred meeting. He's so sick of it. Right? And, and He instituted these things, but they had taken them, hollowed them out, pulled all the good stuff out and crammed it back full of just secular and humanistic ideas that says I'll worship myself in the name of God. And he says it just makes me want to vomit. Keep it. He says in Jeremiah 6.20, for what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? Question mark. Your burnt offerings are not, he says, acceptable nor your sacrifice is sweet to me. That's strong language coming from God. I guess He doesn't accept just anybody's worship, does He? In Malachi 1.10, Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. These are strong words. How God feels about vain, idolatrous, self-centered, emotionally driven, totally human-ideified, if you will, worship. Amos 5, 21. I hate. God, this is God. I hate. (laughs) I despise your feast days. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your... JT, what would you think if one day you got up to lead and you heard an audible voice that said, Take away from me the noise of your songs. What? Because that's what he said. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down instead like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. It's clear what God wants, right? So when you start worshiping in song with song, that way... In the way God wants, He's going to bless you. When you start praying and praising God with a heart that is clean and pure, He's going to bless you. He's going to be there. But if not, He's just saying, get it out. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. And the reason I put Colossians here at the end of all these verses is because do you know what all these verses have in common of why God hated their worship? Idolatry. That's why. Idolatry takes many shapes, it's not a new thing. Uh, our hearts are idol factories, if you've heard it said before. God will not share his glory with another. But what I just read in Peter, if you remember, we are precious in His sight. We are being built up as living stones. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people. Don't settle for less when you can have the best. Don't don't lower yourself. I've got to finish up. I want to talk about music and worship for a second. Because as I said, when we think of music many times, we automatically think. Or when we say worship, we automatically think music. And I would challenge us as a church to stop saying uh, our song service is the worship service. I would say that everything we do on Sunday, I would like for us to start seeing it as worship. Whether we're worshiping together, breaking the word in Sunday school. Whether we're worshiping as we're praying with one another. Whether we're worshiping when we're singing. Or we're worshiping as we're underneath the preaching of the word. We, we should never separate and, and disconnect worship from that which is aimed at God in a spirit of gratitude. But I want to talk about music because in American culture... It's a big deal. So the first word is zamar, okay? Zamar is a Hebrew word, means to make music, to sing praise, song music, singing psalms. The root zamar means to play a musical instrument. The Bible doesn't forbid musical instruments, talks about musical instruments. We can do that. that. That's in keeping with the regulative order of things, right? But also percussion, it involves singing with a musical accompaniment. But the noun may mean simply music, as in Amos 5, when he talks about the melody. The point is, both noun and verb are often associated with opening calls to praise in communal hymns or renewed calls to praise. Sometimes laments call for music, though they may close with promises to give thanks uh, if God answers prayer. The point is, music is a very real part of the Christian experience in the whole of the worship service, the, liturgeo, the liturgy that we have. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name. Oh, Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings. That's telling JT, you know, we got a problem here because these are six-string guitars and, you know... But see, we don't... On the lute, we don't have a harp. I pray we don't have a harp. With harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. Okay? Music and worship. Worship issues, then, faced by the evangelical church at the beginning of the 21st century are much deeper than differences in musical taste, which turns out to be only a symptom of a much more serious problem. In a recent book on worship, Edith Humphrey correctly identifies five maladies that plague worship in the North American church. And I thought these were good enough to mention. Number one, trivializing worship. Do we get the sound set, JT? JT. Trivializing worship by a preoccupation with atmospheric's mood. It's all about how worship makes me feel. You ever heard that? Oh, I was there. And then then they got to singing, and I just felt this stuff go all over me. And uh, I just know God was there. And you look back on it, and there wasn't a lick of scripture. All the songs were me-centered and kind of whiny, because obviously a, a lot of Christian music's kind of whiny. And it just made me feel so moved. Man. You, you've missed it by a mile. Now, don't trivialize worship by a preoccupation with your mood and how it makes you feel. I would challenge anyone to show me wherever it says in here that I must base truth of what God is doing based on how I feel. Let's see. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if you should ever say to your young grandchildren anything, just trust your heart. You need to go eat a bar of lava. Okay? <laughs> Y'all all know what lava soap is? Yeah. It's that green nasty stuff that used to be in the back of the cafe and all the farmers would wash their hands with it and it looked black itself. Yeah. But it was hard. <laughs> we shouldn't say things like it. So I'm going to demonstrate to you. I'm going to demonstrate to you how music moves us. Can I? Are you ready uh, back there? All right. We'll see about that. That's funny. It's sad, but it's funny, you know? So, were you uh, moved? Or did you feel differently? Same video, wasn't it? Exactly the same. Got to go back here. We have to be careful with our emotions. We have to be careful when we allow sound to, in its own self to just to move us. We have to be very guarded. We have to make sure that it is the truth of God that is, that is awakening us a spirit of worship. Not just a guitar solo or a, or a piano or, a, or whatever. We can't be taken in. That's the low-hanging fruit, folks. Get to the high part of the tree. Number two, misdirecting worship by having a human-centered rather than God-centered focus. It's all about me, the worshiper. And we see this happening so much in our day. I don't care if it's hymns only. I don't care if it's as JT calls it, modern hymns and choruses. If they're all about us, we've missed it. Deadening worship by substituting stones for bread. That means the loss of the Word of God in it. If I ever open up a website, and you can take this and do what you will. If you're looking for a new church, you're visiting somewhere, and you open up their site page, and the first thing they lead with is their band, keep looking. You should not have to search for the presence of the Word. If you win people with gimmicks, you're going to have to keep them with gimmicks. And honestly, we know by studying revival that many times we have to make up in the flesh what's missing with the Spirit. Perverting worship with emotional, self-indulgent experiences at the expense of true liturgy. The order of worship. How we approach God. God is central. Christ is central. The Word of God is central. We come last. And we celebrate with the redemption that Jesus gives. Exploiting worship with market driven values. Creating stage presence. If you ever attend a worship service at a church whereby only thing you really can do is just watch because you can't sing the songs because the way they're written are too complex for the congregation, they weren't meant then for you to sing as worship, they were meant for you to watch them perform and that is not biblical worship. So I just want to say that in getting close to being done here don't let music determine what true worship is. Let the Bible determine what worship is and first and foremost, it's attitude. It's position. It's how we approach God. It's Him as our focus. In John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, you've read this about the Samaritan woman at the well and she wants to talk about worship because they had a different place they worship. And Jesus simply responds to her, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers, so there can be false worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And I was like, wow, you know, for, for the Father is seeking much such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So you think, okay, what are we talking about here for as spirit's concerned, Well, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? Philippians 3 For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. You cannot worship God without the Holy Spirit. And when you worship in the Holy Spirit, it will be in truth. Because He is also the Spirit of truth. And therefore, then, rejoice in Christ Jesus And have no confidence in this flesh. Though I also might have confidence. Paul writes in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. I am more so. And then he lists his whole theological premise. But when we talk about worship as a church. Just like in evangelism. Let us not go for the low hanging fruit. And I thank God for JT. As he has brought to us a restoration in many ways of biblical worship and caused me to dig deeper in what I thought I knew, but I didn't. And that's why He does it the way He does it. And even though we have these instruments, don't ever expect these instruments or this lighting to ever take away from that cross. Closing, I want to read some This is from Robert Godfrey. Emotions themselves must not be trusted as an accurate guide to truth, virtue, or the presence of the Holy Spirit. Rather, the emotions must be properly channeled and directed. They must be governed by the sanctified intellect and will of the Christian. They must be the effect of true faith. When emotions are misused, there is a constant danger of manipulation. And you've all seen that. It is easy for effective leaders to move people, especially trusting and expectant people to feel what they want them to feel. Easily the church becomes a theater where feeling and catharsis takes the place of true faith. Do you know what the biblical word for that last statement is? idolatry it's a worship of self and lastly brother john piper truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers god did make us emotional beings but let it be god doing it on the other hand emotion without truth produces empty frenzy And cultivate shallow people who refuse the disciple or the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional. And who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth. Are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. I'm going to ask JT to come. As we close today. I want to ask you, have you mistaken music for worship? Have you allowed yourself to be sucked in to that artificial climate of emotional frenzy and what did he say? catharsis. Have you seen a, a, an admonition to return to biblical worship with attitude out of gratitude and position of lowliness before God your Maker Why you are so thankful to be saved by His grace and sustained by Him? Have you learned that you cannot worship God in an acceptable way without a covering? You must know Christ. If you don't know Christ. You cannot worship. In fact you are an enemy of God. But God. Who is rich in his mercy. Because of his great love with which he has loved us. He has made us alive. He comes to us and shows us our sin. And we get low right. And we say God here I am. A mess. Save me. You are my truth. You are God. So whatever God may be challenging you today with any of those things. The altar is open just for a few moments. To just give some time. For that seed that's been sown to to be in the ground. Just a little. Let the Holy Spirit just tamp it down a bit. In these next few moments. Respond according to that, whatever God calls you to do.